Hello there, and welcome back to a new episode of Hyperbaric Highlights with myself, the man who always enjoys his coffee on the dark side, the bread roll. And with me is the man of whom legend has it, his summer wardrobe was a sole inspiration for Princess Leia's gold bikini. It's JT. <laughs> that, is, that is true. Yeah. For <laughs> once, the legends are true. I was quite young when uh, that film came out. Was it? Uh, that was in Jedi, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, can't deny it. Can't deny yeah. it. I still go back to it every now and again. Doesn't fit so well these days. The old beer belly gets in the way. Oh well. Well, a true classic never dies, does it? I mean, if it's any, if it's any consolation, you know, we all kind of like go sideways when we get to a certain age. So it's all good. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so welcome back to the first of a couple of special edition hyperbaric highlight episodes, where we've decided to cherry pick a few shows that we watched in 2020. They were kind of a cut above the rest. They were just, they deserved a bit more than just a quick sort of 10 minute overview. So this episode, if you didn't read the header and you didn't look at the thumbnail before you clicked on it, is a show that I'm sure everyone's heard of. And it's actually a show that is kind of solely responsible for rescuing a flagging franchise and a franchise I never thought would need rescuing, but it did. Um, This is, of course, The Mandalorian. Yeah, I think you're right there with the flagging. That's basically because Disney fucked up the movies, didn't they? <laughs> so well, it, yeah. they, they, they've managed to rescue it with this. And also, we've said off air that this two spin-offs were good, but the actual main storyline, they just completely butchered it as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, it was shit. I mean, if you told me in 2015, after episode seven came out, and how good that movie was, I like that movie, and how yeah. successful it was and how much hype was back around Star Wars in just a few short years. It would be probably one of the most fucking hated and slagged off franchises of, in modern day. I'd, I'd have been like, you know, fuck off at Star Wars. There's no way Disney are going to cock it up. And what do they do? They absolutely fucked it up. <laughs> but luckily, although in 2019, which is when this show premiered, it was also the same year that Rise of Skywalker came out. So we had something that was absolutely fucking dog shit terrible. And then this kind of, I wouldn't say it was... um. It was almost like a, a consolation, wasn't it? At least this came out and actually showed us that Star Wars still had a bit of, you know, grunt behind it. Oh, yeah, I agree totally. I think the thing that put me off the Star Wars franchise was the minute those fucking porgs appeared. I was like, what is this? Oh, fuck no. You know, I know we'd had Ewoks and stuff before, but, you know, I was younger when that came out, so I can I can forgive that. But, yeah, um, this certainly did rescue it totally. And I, I wasn't going to watch it on the back of Rise of Skywalker being so shit. And I didn't even see Rise of Skywalker until last year because I, I just heard it was shit, so I just didn't bother. But I have seen it now, and they're right, it is shit. But this this certainly isn't The Mandalorian. No, Mandalorian is um very, very good. Um, So it premiered originally. Now, so this is a Disney Plus exclusive, and it pretty much is the flagship show for Disney Plus. It's pretty much the only thing they've got that's worth watching. Um, anything I've watched on them, yeah. <laughs> apart from Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> Yeah, well, there you go. Um, so it's kind of like the flagship show. Now, it, this premiered in November 12, 2019 in the US. Now, you might remember that Disney Plus had a bit of a staggered launch. So it came out in the States. Then I think we got it, and China got it much later than us, I think. Um, so I don't think this actually came out in the UK until early 2020. I don't remember when no. Disney Plus launched in the UK. Because um, I ended up getting an American uh Disney Plus account just for a VPN because I wanted to see this. I think you recommended it to me. You said it's going back to the old school sort of Star Wars. So, and luckily, 
think it was around this time last year. I think Disney Plus launched over here in March, maybe. I could be wrong. So, And luckily, the American Disney Plus had all the episodes, so I didn't have to wait. So I managed to binge it all and get it all done. But yeah, I think we were we were very late to the party on this over here in the UK. Yeah, um, you're definitely right there. It is um, a return to form. But it's definitely, um, it feels like a show that's made for the older fans. Interestingly enough, now this premiered in, like I say, November 12, 2019 in the States. That was also around the same time that The Witcher came out on Netflix. Now, The Witcher in 2019 was the most streamed show. It was actually the most successful streaming show on Netflix up until um, I think Bridgerton came out recently. I think that's replaced it. But a lot of people say that had Disney Plus been a worldwide launch and this was out like worldwide, then The Mandalorian may have beaten or it would have been a lot close, a really close race between The Witcher and The Mandalorian. And I absolutely um, agree with that. I love The Witcher. It's a little bit rushed, but I think it was a really good show um, considering the source material it was coming from. But The Mandalorian, again, is a really good entertaining show. And I think both of them, it would have been a hell of a close race if it was a worldwide launch. Yeah, I mean, I know how big The Witcher is, the game franchise and everything. I must admit, I watched some of it at my girlfriend's place, but she was already halfway through it. So she shoved on an episode and I had no fucking idea what was going on. So (laughs) I I didn't go back and start it. So I never got into The Witcher at all. Yeah, it's it's one of those things. It's like if you tried to watch Game of Thrones or even like Lord of the Rings midway through, you'd be like, "What the fuck's going on here?" It's just people with hair and swords, and doesn't make sense. But... <laughs> it seemed it seemed a bit tongue in cheek. I don't know if I got the wrong vibe from it, but it didn't seem seem to take itself particularly seriously. I don't know if that's right. No, it doesn't. There's a lot of really kind of like sly humor, and like it's brutal as fuck. Like it's really violent. Um, there's loads of swearing, and you know, all kinds of stuff going on. But yeah, it is quite a kind of tongue in cheek show it's definitely worth watching um i'm a fan of the books and of course the video games as well so i kind of like what they did with the show i'm just hoping season two has a bit more of a straight structure to it as such but we're digressing into the witcher this is about the mandalorian (laughs) (laughs) so the mandalorian came out it is it's got two seasons now which we were fortunate enough to watch both seasons in 2020 so we didn't have to wait a year or more between them which is always quite good um, so of the two seasons, there's eight episodes per season and the episodes, they kind of vary somewhere between 30 and 40 minutes. I think some are as short as 20 odd minutes as well. The running times are really random. You never know what you're going to get, do you? With most programs, you think, right, this is on for 45 minutes. I'll watch it while I'm eating tea or doing this. But with The Mandalorian, you get a half hour, then you get nearly an hour. It's all over the place. It is, yeah, because I swear like, I watched one episode, I can't remember which one it was, but it's literally over almost before it started. It was just getting in its groove, and then it was like, <laughs> ended. It's like, what the fuck? Have I missed something here? <laughs> 32 minutes apparently is the shortest episode. This is according to Wikipedia, which obviously we know is not always 100% right, and then up to 54 minutes. So quite a big difference, really. But then there is a lot of different producers and directors, aren't there? So I guess they've all got different styles and different things. Absolutely. And... A little backstory on this. Uh, So George Lucas actually started to develop a Star Wars live action TV series back in 2009. And it was deemed to be too expensive. um, So it didn't happen. Now, I'm thinking about... Yeah. (laughs) But I'm thinking about the 2009. And that was around the time that, from my point of view, I think TV started to become good. Like, 
around that time you had things like Dexter, you had the Sopranos, things like The Walking Dead were coming out, Sons of Anarchy, Breaking Bad, all those sort of things were around at that time. So TV shows were really starting to get noticed. So it's strange that they looked at something like Star Wars and were like, nah, I can't do that. And it's like, it's a pretty guaranteed franchise to make money, but apparently at the time it was too expensive. So we had to wait until now to get Mandalorian. They probably also looked at his scripts and thought, what the fuck? <laughs> it's true. Yeah, they probably remembered the prequels and were like, hang on a minute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, The Mandalorian, it's strange, actually, because obviously it is part of the Star Wars universe, but it's also its own brand now. It seems like they've kind of like, you know, The Mandalorian is its own thing within Star Wars. Um, I don't know if you've noticed that, but like whenever you see the merchandise and everything, you don't see the big Star Wars banner. You just see The Mandalorian. That's, like, that's what they want to promote yeah. it as. Yeah, yeah, I agree. But um, I've never been into the extended universe. I think we touched on this in another episode. I've always been Luke Skywalker, Han Solo, Princess Leia, Darth Vader, and I've never bothered with any of the books or spin-offs or anything until this. So it was a whole new thing for me. And yeah, it thoroughly impressed me. Good stuff. So beginning five years after the events of Return of the Jedi, the Mandalorian follows Din Djarin, a lone Mandalorian bounty hunter in the outer rim of the galaxy. He is hired by remnant Imperial forces to retrieve an asset that later is revealed to be Baby Yoda slash the child, but instead goes on the run to protect the infant. While looking to reunite the child of his own kind, they are pursued by Moff Gideon, who wants to use the child's connection to the Force for all kinds of evil Empire deeds. So that is pretty much the synopsis of The Mandalorian. I didn't watch any trailers or anything when this was coming out. Be like yourself, I just knew it was coming out. I was like, yeah, Bounty Hunters, Star Wars, it's on Disney+, Plus. I'll watch it, why not? turns out to be amazing but um what were your first impressions after watching the first episode i was exactly the same i didn't know anything about it and i was having an iron about even watching it to be honest and then i think you you texted me and said this is great you need to get on it so i got the uh, vpn on the go got disney plus and yeah i was blown away by the first episode i thought this is definitely a return to form and a much needed return to form as well absolutely um, so, for those of you who don't know, the Mandalorians are they're just kind of like this race of warriors, um, and they generally are just bounty hunters. The whoever's left of them, there's not many of them left now, um, but they Din Djarin himself is just a bounty hunter. And as I say, it's separate after Return of the Jedi, so it's still that feel of like the original trilogy. A lot of the designs, a lot of like the kind of just the the look and feel of it just feels like original star wars to me it doesn't have like the the ps2 cgi that the prequels had and it doesn't have all the fucking nonsense that the sequel trilogy had or anything it feels it does feel just like star wars again if that you know even makes sense to anyone but it does it makes total sense absolutely um one thing um that i didn't really pick up on but listening to the comics in motion podcast those boys are brilliant by the way listen to them they did quite an in-depth they they reviewed every episode of the mandalorian so there's lots of different mandalorian episodes they've done but one thing they did say obviously following on from return of the jedi fair enough but in return of the jedi the empire was destroyed but now they just seem to be back and it it almost sort of took the ending away from return of the jedi if that makes sense i know they're only there in small pockets the empire but they're certainly still about and certainly making their force present without using a pun there yeah, I know what you mean there, but my way of looking at it is, like, when you're a kid, you just watch the end of Return of the Jedi, and it's like, right, Vader and the Emperor have been destroyed. Suddenly, 
at that exact moment, everyone around the galaxy is what all just fucking celebrating, pulling down statues and, I don't know, farting about. But when you think about it, it's like the Empire were occupying pretty much most of the galaxy. If you think about a real war, like even at the end of World War II, when like, you know, Hitler um, killed himself and the Russians took uh, Berlin and stuff. I don't mean that every soldier around the world just suddenly dropped their arms. There's still loads of like fanatical pockets and stuff still around who still were keeping with the old ways and stuff. So there would still be splinter groups and other people trying to take charge and keep things the way they were. And I think where the original Star Wars was done at a time, especially obviously with George Lucas holding the pen, makes it all family friendly. As soon as one villain's destroyed, suddenly the world's at peace and everyone's happily ever after. But we know that that's really never ever the case. Is There's always a new villain. There's always someone else who wants to take power. So I think that's maybe what they were going for, is to make it a bit more of a realistic, yeah, right, the war, they defeated Vader, they defeated Palpatine. But that doesn't mean that everything's just going to go back to normal. They still need to reform the New Republic. There's still splinter factions. There's still fanatics out there. There's still con- uh, planets under occupation. So it probably is just trying to emphasise the fact that, you know, the war didn't end just because Vader and Palpatine were dead. Yeah, that that is a good point and explains it really well. Like you say, plus when... Jedi came out, when was that, 84? I don't suppose they were thinking, oh, there's going to be a TV spin-off like 30 years later, were they? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember reading, I don't know if this is 100% true or not, but I remember reading a thing that when George Lucas originally was planning to do Star Wars, it was a 12-movie um, setup and no studio back then. I mean, fucking hell, not meant any studios these days, really. And, you know, looking at what the MCU have achieved and fair play to them, but no studio would just come into a new IP and be like, yeah, we'll sign you up for 12. You know, sci-fi wasn't even a big thing back in like the seventies, really. I mean, you had an alien coming out right. by 1979 and there was like the Shatner Star Treks, but it's always seen as a bit of a, a niche, not a very to be taken seriously franchise. So when he came in saying, yeah, I want to do a 12 movie Star Wars story, all the like studios were like, fuck that. You ain't, you ain't having any of it, mate. You're getting one movie, which was originally just called Star Wars. And off the success of that, then you got Empire, and Jedi, and that's when they went back and renamed the first one to A New Hope as well, but at the time, you know, it's not fucking heard of, was it? No, and that always annoys me, the fact it's called A New Hope, because obviously I I was born slightly before Star Wars came out. I didn't see it in the cinema because I was too young, but obviously I grew up with the originals, and it was always just Star Wars to me, and then people started calling it A New Hope, and I was like, what the fuck are you on about? It's just Star Wars. Yeah, because I remember I was on holiday once and I was just looking in one of the, the shops and they had like a Star Wars book and it was called A New Hope. And I thought, oh, yeah, that's cool. Then I read the back of it and I was like, well, this is just the plot of the first fucking movie. What's this all about? Because I, I was quite young at the time. I didn't realise, you know, at the time because you didn't have the internet and you weren't in the know about things like that. You only, you know, knew what was in like a fucking Empire magazine if you ever bought one of them. So I didn't know they'd actually, you know, renamed it. But apparently, yeah, it was supposed to have 12 chapters and the Emperor wasn't going to turn up until like chapter 11. Um, and it's going to be like this on sprawling thing. And that's why it's all the episodic things. And then when George Lucas was told, no, we're going to give you one movie and we'll see how it goes. That's why it was just called Star Wars. I don't know if that's gospel truth. I really don't know. I just remember reading that in one of those kind of like documentary type pieces. So yeah. it could be slightly skewed information, but that's, I heard that. I don't know, you know, I'd say if it's hundred percent fact. I've read something similar because obviously he didn't have a beginning, did he? He didn't know how to start it. So he started it in the middle. So I imagine he, he wanted to sort of eke the story out and then maybe go back. Who knows what was in his original mind? He's a weird guy anyway. Yes, yeah, he certainly made some fucking money, though. I mean, he's great at coming up with stuff. He's just <laughs> not exactly the best director. But the story was always, 
everyone always remembers like Luke Skywalker and that, but the story was always penned. And you can see it when you look at it. It's Anakin Skywalker's story, isn't it? It's his legacy. It's how is his rise and fall and redemption. The story follows him or Darth Vader, whatever you want to call him. But everyone always thinks, yeah. you know, especially when you're a kid, you think it's Luke Skywalker's adventure, don't you? Yeah. No, you're right. Yeah, maybe he had that in mind when he, he penned the original. But like you say, you can see why they said no to 12 episodes because, start, well, science fiction wasn't big back then at all, was it? And I think he had quite a low budget as well, didn't he? Yeah, well, you just got to look at the actors, haven't you, really? <laughs> look at the acting quality. Yeah. Apart from Harrison Ford, no, in the first Star Wars, no one could fucking act. Yeah, you're right. Anyway, we're digressing onto uh, the original Star Wars now, but it's all linked, isn't it? It is all linked. Yeah. So <laughs> let's get back to uh, let's get back to the Mandalorian. So yeah, it's a it's a really weird um, setup because it's the episodes. As we say they're kind of quick fire. So in season one, we have we meet Mando or Din Djarin, as his real name is, and he goes off to find the asset, which turns out to be what was famously known for a long time as Baby Yoda, or the child. We later find out the child's name but we'll get to that in due course and along the way he's being hunted down by the remnant of the empire led by moff gideon he meets some friends along the way but each episode is basically it's his own little chapter like he comes along and meets someone he's trying to find baby yoda's race and reunite him with his people basically and every episode is pretty much just like an issue of a comic book or it's like a level of a video game it's like he goes somewhere he meets someone and says, I need help. Okay, we'll help you, but first you need to do this to us, for us. So then he does a mission for them, completes it, and they give him what he needs, or they point him in the right direction. And then it's on to the next episode, and it's rinse and repeat, pretty much. And it's a really good formula, but it is very much, every episode pretty much follows the exact same kind of trend. Yeah, we've always said this off-air, haven't we? It is rinse and repeat, and it's, it's season two even more so. It's very video gamey, but it works, and I have to say, we haven't mentioned the actors yet. Pedro Pascal's amazing as Mandalorian, Din Djarin. I mean, I, I didn't even, I wasn't even aware of him. I obviously watched Narcos fairly recently, and that's only when I clicked, fuck me, that's the Mandalorian. That's how slow I was on that, because you don't hardly see his face anyway in, in Mandalorian, do you? No, you don't, because um, the Mandalorians have a, a range of religions um, and his particular belief structure means that he can never show his face to any living person. So for about 90% of the show, he's always just clad in his, like his garb, basically in his Mando helmet. Um, but yeah, he, he is really good. He can do, but his body language speaks volumes. Like being able to act without facial expressions has obviously got to be really bloody tricky, but he pulls it off and you always kind of, the way he tilts his head or the way he just stands, you just get used to kind of reading his lang body language to kind of understand what he's thinking at the time, don't you, really? Yeah, it's really good the way they've done it. And also, apparently, I'm sure this is true, that he obviously recorded all the dialogue after it was acted. It wasn't said at the same time. He had a fucking helmet on and that. <laughs> so the way it's all been acted and then sort of overdubbed and that works really well. I think you see his face once in season one and probably twice in season two, don't you? Yeah, you do. It's right at the end of season one. Um, I don't think I'll get to it. My pure reasons why, but I think there was only one scene that we've seen too far so far in episodes one, seasons one and two. Get me fucking words straight. <laughs> There's only one scene that warranted him taking his helmet off, and it would have been much more impactful if they'd have saved it until then. But yeah, he takes it off at the end of season one. And technically, he shows his face to an android, so it doesn't really count as him showing his face to anyone. 
up to that point. But you, we see it, we the audience see it, so we can see what Pedro Pascal looks like. He's actually something of a handsome man. And for a guy who wears a big metal helmet and gets into as many fights as he does, he used to have a really finely trimmed moustache and goatee and hair. You know, I would have thought he'd be a bit more ragged looking than fucking he does. Yeah, he, he does do quite well with the old grooming there, doesn't he? He yeah. must, uh, must do that in secret, obviously, not in front of uh, Baby Yoda or anyone else who's around him. That's it, yeah. I mean, even like his, he's got a really cool ship. Uh, it's called the Razor's Crest, I think. Um, but you don't see any kind of like, you know, grooming appliances or a nice big sort of full length mirror where he preps himself before he goes <laughs> on a mission or anything. You can imagine him tarting himself up before he goes out to get a fucking bounty or something. <laughs> Isn't there one episode, I think it's in season one, where that robot goes to the toilet? So in the ship, so implying he did have some kind of bathroom, if I remember rightly. I could be completely wrong. He tries to escape, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, you're right. Actually, yeah. So he does have a, a bit. Of, he does have a car seat on his <laughs> ship. I suppose you need to really. He's got to like drop his load before he hits hyperspace. I suppose, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> I, I tell you what, though, you'd have to plan it in advance, wouldn't you, to get all that armor off? You wouldn't want to be fucking caught short. Exactly, and that's another thing as well. Um, that obviously harkens back to the kind of video games. So in um. Season one, when you first meet him, this is shot like a kind of a space western, which is pretty cool in itself. Um, but he's like he's kind of a bit of a raggedy man, and he like he's got his like helmet on, but he's just got this ragtag armor. And his kind of clan yeah. of Mandalorians, they use what is called Beskar armor, and it's pretty much the best you can get. Like it's fucking laser proof, it's lightsaber proof, the lot. So one of his quests is to go and collect enough Beskar like plates so that he can mold into like a full on like armor set of Beskar armor. And that, that in itself is like a video game thing, isn't it? You play like an RPG and it's like, oh yeah, go and find me some bloody, the right materials and then go and find a blacksmith or make you better armor so you can go and fight this boss. And that is exactly what that whole kind of scenario in the show is. Again, it's just him going to find the right resources so he can build himself some good armor. Yeah, very much so. Because he keeps going back to the Mandalorian place, doesn't he? And doing different craft, she crafts him stuff, doesn't she? That other Mandalorian, she makes him this crazy armor and shit. I mean, I I haven't watched season one for about a year now, so it's a little bit distant in my mind. So if I'm saying things that are wrong, I do apologize. No, you're absolutely right. He's got that kind of little hub, haven't hasn't he? Where like he's got his Mando, and you've got the blacksmith in there, and then the one who kind of gives him his quests that were but you've also got characters like grief carger who's played by carl weathers and he's the leader of the bounty hunters <laughs> guild and old carl weathers he's a bit of a sly snake in um season one if i remember correctly you don't quite know where his allegiances lie but i was actually quite happy to see yeah. carl weathers in there i hadn't seen him in anything for years he still looks the same as well doesn't he he does yeah he could still be <laughs> but... in the jungle with arnie couldn't he or fighting <laughs> fucking ivan drogoff where his name is <laughs> but yeah, he he was definitely a bit. I think he was just going the way of he was winning in season one, wasn't he? Season two, he's a lot more loyal, but season one, he was always definitely a bit dodgy. Yeah, because I suppose he, I can't remember again exactly, but because he gives Mando or Dinjarin, whatever you want to call him, the job to go and get the asset, which turns out to be the child. I suppose he still kind of got one foot in with the Empire to try and keep obviously pressure off his own back. And he's got like one foot in with a guild because he's obviously just trying to survive, isn't he? It's all set out in the outer rim, which I always thought was a really interesting aspect of Star Wars. Like when we first meet Han Solo and you kind of see that whole kind of smuggler, scoundrel kind of vibe. I always thought that was a really interesting part of Star Wars that we don't really get to see very much. So it's good to see that kind of like, like you say, it's like a Western, isn't it? It's all outlaws and you can't really trust anyone. You've just got to do what you can to try and get a buck and survive. 
Yeah, I, I do like the Out Rim as well. And I mean, this has been described as a space western. And yeah, definitely, it is that kind of, what's it, a hive of scum and villainy. Villainy. I can't even say it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that. But yeah, I, I do enjoy when they go back there. I mean, they, they went back there in one of the prequels, didn't they, a little bit? Obviously, get Anakin. Yeah, back to old Tatooine. Yeah, that's it. I couldn't think of the bloody name of it, Tatooine. Why couldn't I think of that? It's quite obvious and quite famous if you're a Star Wars fan. So, other than meeting Grief Karga, who's the, um, like, say, like the Bounty Hunters Guild leader, who's a bit, bit of a devil in this one, but he does turn out to be a sound guy. We also meet some really cool characters along the way. Now, in season one, particularly, we meet a character, and I'm going to completely cock up saying his name, called Quill or Quill. And he basically looks like a three-foot-tall Ron Perlman, but he's voiced by Nick Nolte. <laughs> and he becomes something, he's a bit of a nomad, but he kind of becomes a bit of a friend to Din Djarin, doesn't he? And kind of helps him along his way and guides him a little bit. Yeah, he does. Um, yeah, he was good, actually. I forgot about him. But yeah, Quill, I think, K-U-I-L-L, I don't know. Yeah, well, fuck knows how you pronounce it. Star Wars, isn't it? They've all got stupid names. <laughs> But he, yeah, he's he's a really good character. And he um, like spoiler alert, he, he croaks it at the end. And I thought his death was really sad. I was like, fucking no, I didn't want him want him to die. Yeah. He was like being chased down by the stormtroopers, wasn't he? And like, you didn't actually see yeah, him die, but later on, Din sort of like turns up, and you just see like the remnants of his speeder, and him sort of just led there. And you're like, oh man, I really liked him. I wanted him to get away. Yeah, no, he was cool. And also the the robot is it Eek Eleven? He was quite cool because obviously um. Din Djarin doesn't like droids, does he? He fucking hates them, but they ended up, he ends up helping him out quite a bit. Yeah, because at first, um, Ig 11, voiced by Taiti Waititi, I can never say his name, the guy <laughs> who directed Thor 3, <laughs> um, he starts off, he's like a bit of a villain, isn't he? But then he gets reprogrammed by Quill and then he kind of becomes like this badass sidekick to Din Djarin. Um, and he's actually a pretty cool character in himself, and he kind of saves the day towards the end when old uh, Moff Gideon turns up, who's played by the guy whose name I'm not even going to attempt, but he's Gus and Breaking Bad. Gian, Gian, Giancarlo Esposito. There we go. Yeah, good old good old Gus Fring with a lightsaber. Who'd have ever thought you'd see that, eh? And that's the thing. Uh, we mentioned in a previous episode about, like, there's certain actors who just, like, Matt Berry, for example, who's just Matt Berry and everything. I mean, this guy is pretty much just Gus Fring in space, isn't he? <laughs> He doesn't yeah. even seem like a different character to Gus. <laughs> he just plays the same character every time, but he's very good at it. I mean, obviously, Breaking Bad, he's fucking incredible. But and, and he wasn't really in this until the last couple of episodes of season two, was he? He just popped up, said a couple of lines and chipped off again. So hopefully we'll see more of him. Yeah, I think he's still got a part to play. The thing I don't get is why the fuck is he dressed like Darth Vader? Like he's got this big breathing apparatus <laughs> on his chest, but he hasn't even got like a breathing mask on. Like, he's just literally in Darth Vader's outfit without the helmet, just strutting around, you know, going to Los, Los Manos, <laughs> going to get some fried chicken or whatever it is that he sells. What is, it's, what's his place it's, called? It's all that, it's um, Los Palos Hermanos. That's the one. <laughs> it's, it's all that crystal meth. It's fucked his lungs up. That's what it is. So you, you need some kind of breathing help. Not that Gus was ever taking the meth, was he? But, you know, he was producing it. Well, I suppose he did have a few holes in his face at the end. So maybe that's what's kind of helped him. But yeah, he's the villain and he is good. And I think the less is more kind of works with him. He was quite an interesting character. And he like turns up at the end. Um, and that'd be like this showdown, aren't they? They're like stuck in like this, this building of some kind. And he turns up with the stormtroopers and then he gets shot down and then he cuts his way out with a dark saber. And then he's like stood there waving it around. And it's like, fuck, now this guy means business. 
Yeah, it was a good ending, actually. And someone we haven't mentioned yet is uh, the lovely Cara June. Can we just give her a shout out? Because um, there's something about old uh, Gina Carano. I mean, again, the comics in Motion Boys, they said something good that, you know, she's hot. And there's probably the only woman with arms bigger than them that they, you know, would consider. Because, <laughs> she, you know, she's fucking strong, isn't she? Well, she's an ex-MMA um, fighter, isn't she? And yeah, we always say the, um, yeah. the best to last. So she plays an ex-rebel shock trooper turned mercenary in this. And she is an awesome character. She pretty much becomes instantly what Disney and most of Hollywood have been trying to force down our throats and failing miserably at for years. Is just a decent, strong female character. She literally just she holds the screen and she does not look out of place at all. With you know up against you know working alongside Din Djarin and going up against the Empire and that. She is just a really cool character and she's certainly a big fan favorite. Yeah, she's amazing. I mean, there is talk of a spin-off, isn't there? I mean, that might be milking it a little bit of all the other things they've got in the pipeline, but you never know. Yeah, I don't know if she'll need a spin-off. I mean, like you say, they've got loads in the pipeline, but I reckon this is going to build up kind of like a shared live-action universe so that all the characters could kind of just appear in different episodes as and when they're needed, aren't they? So I think if you start making a show for every popular character, you're just going to weigh yourself a bit too thin, but you never know. Yeah, it it would be too much. I mean... I can't remember what episode she first came in on season two, but I was very glad to see her again, I have to say. Yeah, because... She wasn't in the first couple, was she, I don't think? No, she wasn't, because the first two episodes, we'll move on to season two in a second, um, they're kind of like almost standalone episodes. I, I, when I first started watching season two, I've got to admit, I wasn't sure I was actually going to enjoy it as much as season one, just the way the episodes one and two went. So season one, just to wrap it up, so Din Djarin finds a child, him and his friends kind of help him protect this child. Quill croaks it in a sort of like defiant, brave way. IG-11 croaks it as well. He kind of saves the day at the end. So Kara June, Grief and Din Djarin escape with the child. And when we come to season two, Din's still sort of on the run with the child. He's now looking for, the, still looking to rehome him. And everyone else is kind of scattered along. But the first two episodes of season two, I don't know what you think, but I just thought they seemed like just very standalone episodes. They're almost throwaway, like they weren't going anywhere. What were your thoughts when you watched yeah, it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I liked the first one involved Timothy Oliphant. I thought it was very good. But like you say, it didn't really follow on from the story or progress it at all. And then the second one, that was one of those weird spidery facehugger things, wasn't it? It was, yeah. That It was, an, it was a... Like I say, it was a standalone episode. It was a good episode, but it didn't do anything to sort of, again, progress it. And then they sort of picked it up from the third episode, didn't they? It did, yeah. The third episode is when it really kind of gripped me. Because like you say, the first episode, you meet Timothy Oliphant's character, who I thought was pretty cool. Um, I wanted him, I thought he was going to be a recurring character, and I was a bit disappointed when he wasn't in episode two, because I liked him. Yeah, I was expecting to see him towards the end of the season, but maybe he'll come back at a later date. But they were fighting this big kind of like, underground wormy dragon and i was like man someone just watched bloody tremors before they wrote this script didn't they because that's all it seemed to be to me which is tremors just on acid it was. yeah it was tremors but with star wars characters 100 percent. and then the second episode had alien vibes with those face hungry type eggs and that yeah yeah exactly that and then one of the most annoying things happened in episode two for me is when they're supposed to be protecting that little lizard or was it episode three? It might be two or three, but they're supposed to be protecting this lizard woman who's got like this satchel of eggs and she's the last of her kind. And little fucking Brussels sprout twat starts fucking eating all her eggs. I was like, you little <laughs> bastard. 
you're supposed to be like everyone's like oh he's so yeah. adorable and i know like, he's not he's a little bastard fucking hell i'd have fucking shot him out of the airlock for doing that <laughs> that was um that was when it really started like not bugging me because this is a great great series don't get me wrong but when i really started noticing the just constant placing of uh the child in scenes where he didn't really need to be and then trying to almost make him a bit of a comedy character when he was eating those eggs and that and mando's like nope and kept like slapping him and it just seemed a bit unnecessary obviously he's made disney billions i'd imagine so they, they need to get him in the in scenes but it just seems he was in scenes he didn't need to be in and little extra bits that didn't need to be there yeah i agree because like because over in was in the uk we're a little bit late so mandalorian was showing in a in America. So on Twitter, I was constantly seeing pictures of baby Yoda everywhere. And he was, he was already pissing me off. I thought, I'm going to, this guy's going to annoy the hell out of me. And he didn't bother me as much in season one as I thought he would. But you can tell, like, like you just said there, you know, Disney got on the bandwagon. They thought, yeah, loads of merchandise. Everywhere you look, there's fucking baby Yoda merchandise. And like you say, in episode season two, any excuse for the camera to pan over and look at him and doing something like the, in episode one, there's a rumble, like an aftershock from that giant tremor thing going along. And then it just pans to him and he's hiding in like a tobacco tin, like the little spit tins in the bar. And he sort of pokes his head out and it's like, fuck's sake, every fucking 10 seconds, it feels like I'm looking at this bloody bogey in a fucking rag. And I want to just see like, you know, (laughs) Cara June kick someone's ass. I want to watch Mando beat someone up. I don't want to look at this fucking annoying green thing. Yeah, it was gratuitous marketing, wasn't it? But like, he, I mean, you think about it. Uh, what do you reckon? Ninety-five percent of the merchandise they sell must be oh, him. Easy, easy. Yeah, I mean, people will probably buy Mando stuff, and I know there's some cool Cara June, Cara June uh, Funko pops and stuff out there. But everyone's going to buy the Baby Yoda stuff, aren't they? Yeah, and they kind of rebrand everything. I mean, I saw in a couple of shops over Christmas. Um, you know, on the odd shop that was actually open when I went outside. They'd rebranded so much stuff. They even had like a game of Operation that was like Baby Yoda branded. And I was just like, Jesus Christ, you know, you're <laughs> literally milking the shit out of this. But, you know, he's he's clearly hit the high point. People love him. Um, and I know he's integral to the story. I just I just got a bit fed up. With, like, why is he on the screen at every fucking moment, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, we were texting each other after some episodes going, what was the point of him being in that bit? There was no need for that. But <laughs> just on a slight tangent, my mum... As, and dad have both really enjoyed the Mandalorian. My mum fucking loves Baby Yoda. And I would go around there sometimes or I'd text her and go, have you seen the latest episode? That little green twat's really pissing me off. But she, she'd already bought me a fucking Baby Yoda light for Christmas. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm looking at it right now. I mean, it's only just a little caricature of him and it lights up. It is quite cool. But when I unwrapped it, she's like, yeah, you're probably going to hate this. But yeah, I, I was just slagging him off every week to her saying he's getting more and more annoying. This is now going to sound like we hate Mandalorian, and that's completely untrue. No, that's the thing. I, I absolutely love this show, and it literally revitalised my love for Star Wars, I'd say, after disappointment of the, the recent trilogy movies. Um, but yeah, there are, we're not slagging it off. It is a great show. I absolutely love it, and I love some of the characters, but it's just it's just still got that kind of like Disney thing of like, yeah, we got some of this popular, let's just ram it down everyone's throat before they get bored of it. Yeah, I mean, it was always going to happen, wasn't it? Let's be honest. The minute that he was on the screen and everyone fell in love with him, they were going to milk it. So after those first, the only thing that really came of see, episode one of season two, in my opinion, is that little teaser right at the end when we saw who turns out to be Boba Fett. Don't we, we get to see him um, 
because when you meet Timothy Oliphant's character, he's wearing the Mandalorian Boba Fett's armor. And we last saw him wearing that when he got thrown into the Zarlacc pit. So Mando was like, look, I want that armor back. So they make a deal again, you know, all right, you can have this back, but you have to do a favor for me. So he kills the dragon, he gets the armor. And as he's wandering off with um, baby Yoda, we see a character kind of watching from a distance and turns out to be Boba Fett, which is quite a nice little surprise because he's a character that has become massively popular. And yeah, I think he's really cool. He looks badass, but he was in the original movies for like five minutes wasn't he? He's barely fucking in there, but he became such a huge, iconic character. Yeah, and his death was shit as well, wasn't it? It was a badass bounty Uh, hunter. He just gets, like, (laughs) tapped on the back with a fucking mop stick and he falls into a fucking Zarlag pit. I mean, that summed up some of the acting, even Han Solo, when he's like, Boba Fett? Boba Fett? Where? He just turns around and smacks him with that thing. It is pretty fucking cheesy. It is. is, It's amazing, but it's dreadful at the same time. But, um, we're good. He's a fan favorite, so it's kind of good to see him back. We also find some more. We get introduced to a few more Mandalorians. One of which is played by Katie Sackoff, who is actually reprising her role as Bo Katan, who was introduced, I believe, it is in the Clone Wars. It might have been Rebels. I'm not too sure, but she's from the animated series, one way or the other, and quite a popular fan favorite. So it's good to have that little nod and kind of start bringing things together. Yeah, I mean. Again, I don't want to keep talking about the Comics Emotion boys, but they got really excited about this because they certainly one of them knows a lot more about the extended universe. And apparently she's like really big in the extended universe. I didn't know who she was. So although I thought she was cool, I was like, I don't know who she is. I, would, I just remember the actress from being in things like um, she's in one of the Riddick movies. I've seen her in a couple of other bits. So when she turned up, I knew who she was and I knew the character because I have seen Clone Wars and Rebels. I just couldn't remember which one she was most prominent in. Um, so it was cool to see it. Annoyingly, it, it also brought in a, someone who I fucking hate. I'm fucking Sasha Banks from WWE. I fucking hate that woman. Hate her. She's shit wrestler. <laughs> She's a shit actress. She just sits there, this resting bitch face. But she was in there and she was on camera a bit too much for my liking for like the episode and a half she was in. But she was one of the Mandalorians as well. And then later on, we also get uh, Ahsoka Tano, who is a huge character from the extended universe, come in waving her lightsabers around, and that's actually the first Jedi we actually get to see in this show. Yeah, it is, isn't it? She's cool though. That that episode, the Jedi episode, I thought was quite dark as well. The whole place it was set in and everything had really dark undertones. Yeah, it was quite dark actually. It also had, and all the way through that episode, I was thinking, I fucking know who this guy is. I know who this guy is, and right at the end, it twigged. Oh, Michael Bean. He was um, he was one of the villains, wasn't he? Yeah, because I didn't didn't recognise him. Didn't even recognise his voice. I mean, he's in two of my favourite films of all time. And then you text me and say, like, oh, "I was good to see Michael Bean in in it." And I was like, "Really? Who the fuck was he? I don't even notice him." So yeah, shows how good I am at this sort of stuff. <laughs> yeah, it was really bugging me. I mean, the guy's not exactly a great actor. He's like he's got like one fucking character he can play, but he just happens to play it in two of the best movies. Like you just said there, but yeah, he appears <laughs> in this. So it's a nice little cameo. The one thing I will say about Ahsoka and I really like the actress who plays her and it was great to see her in there. Cause I know how important she is to the storyline. But for me, everyone on, on Twitter was like going absolutely mad. It's like, Oh God, the outfit was amazing. It's all fucking incredible. And I was like, this just looked like a kind of low budget cosplayer. Or like, at best, a really expensive Mm. Halloween outfit. I just thought the costume didn't look right to me. It just looked cheesy. Yeah, it wasn't brilliant. I mean, yeah, I know what you mean. It 
it looked okay, don't get me wrong, but yeah, everyone losing their shit over it. It was a bit over the top. Yeah, I'm sure it was the best thing in the world for someone out there. <laughs> I'd imagine so. I think Baby Yoda's the best thing in the world for, for that lot, from what I've seen. So another thing we really learned from that episode um, that Ahsoka Tano is now in is she mentions that she's hunting down Admiral Thrawn, who's a character I really love from the extended universe. And I think she's getting her own show to kind of explain more of that. But also we get to find out the child's name, which is actually Grogu. Yeah, I, I suppose it's Star Wars, isn't it? It's not the worst name it could have been, I guess. People still call him Baby Yoda, though. I think people are always going to call him that. Yeah, that's the thing, because it's like, I think when it was when it first started, a few people, because I remember Rach was saying, because, um, again, we didn't watch any of the build-up to this. We didn't know where it was supposed to be set or what it was all about. And Rach, she's like, so is this, um, you know, like, really far in the past? I was like, I don't know, because I thought it was set after Return of the Jedi, which obviously it turned out to be. And obviously, uh, yeah. George Lucas, I know, was always very specific about he never wanted to reveal much of Yoda's race, who he is, where they're from. And they live, obviously, for hundreds of years. So my kind of idea behind this is the fact that because they're so sensitive with the Force and they live so long, there's only ever one of them. And, they're, you know, and whatever way they kind of sway, whether he grew up to be like on the light side or the dark side, would obviously have a lot of influence for that particular part of the Force. So there's only ever one of them. And after Yoda dies in Return of the Jedi, this new one kind of comes along, if that makes sense. So that's, that's kind of my kind of yeah. thought behind it. That's a really good thought, actually. And I was exactly the same. I was like, so is this thing Yoda? It can't be. Yoda's 800 years old. Who's this? Is, is he suddenly died, but then gone back to being a child? Are they like re- reborn or regenerated? This is weird. Yeah, it was. And again, it was, that was a, it was a good mystery. And I think, you know, the character, despite being on screen and being slightly annoying, like what they've done with the character and the intrigue they build with him is pretty good. And, I, you know, can't really fault the writing that goes in with this. Um, so the sort of show moves along and then we see a bit more of the Empire. We see a bit more of Gus. And he's built these things and they look shit. These fucking robots of his, these built, what they called dark troopers. Those dark dark troopers yeah they were they were shit when they come down to take grogu spoiler alert it was just that was bad i thought it was a great episode up until then as well yeah it was a good episode because he kind of puts yoda well grogu whatever his name is on this kind of like meditation plinth where he's connected to the force and the idea (laughs) is that a jedi will find him because ahsoka says she can't take him or train him but if you put him on this stone he'll reach out to the force and if there's any jedi they'll They'll hear him or, you know, connect to him and then they'll hopefully come and get him. So Din takes him there and then Gus sends these robots. He's built these dark trooper robots. And they the thing is, they just look shit. They look cheesy. They look like some out of a Saturday morning cartoon. The CGI is terrible. They look like they belong in, like, fucking Iron yeah. Man's basement or something. And they've got these really cheesy red eyes <laughs> and they just look absolutely wank. And that, like you said, that just kind of ruins... Everything looks amazing because there's loads of practical effects and some really good use of CGI in this show, and then they come down, and it's like, fuck me, what is this? It was like it's fucking BBC quality. Yeah, the, the budget's obviously massive, and like you say, everything else looks spot on, but they just, I don't know, They we both agreed that they, they just look a bit shit. But one thing that always amazes me, you know, when um, Din Djarin goes to these places, obviously he's, he must be given coordinates, because he always seems to be able to manage to land exactly where he needs to be. <laughs> Have you ever noticed that? They'll go to like a fucking massive planet, and he'll land in the exact spot that where he needs to be. You know, when I go to London, 
takes me fucking hours to find things sometimes. So it's, it's pretty mad. Yeah, especially considering how wanted he is. He's got like the remnants of the Empire after him. The Rebellion aren't really exactly, you know, best mates of him or anything like that. But yeah, like you say, he just manages to find his way into all these like places and just land. And everyone's like, hey, you're right, Dim, how's it going? You know, have, a, have a seat, have a drink. <laughs> Yeah, it's always got me. And it's not just Mandalorian, it's Star Wars in general. It's like, right, Luke goes to find Yoda and he happens just to land 10 minutes away from him on Dagobah. It's like, really? Yeah, because all Obi-Wan says, being the cryptic old fucker that he is, he's like, hey, good, Dagobah, sister. Yeah, you've got this whole fucking planet and you just manage to land in the exact spot where Yoda's pitched his tent. It's like, fuck off. Yeah, anyway, you know, we've got to look at have, yeah. So, yeah, this is where um, we also sort of, like, get... Unfortunately, one thing that always upsets me is when there's a really cool vehicle and it gets blown up. But <laughs> in this season as well, um, the Razor Crest gets blown up, doesn't it, by the Empire? And I was like, fuck, you know, that, that's just a really cool yeah. ship. I mean, it's not quite the Millennium Falcon, but it's a really cool ship. Yeah, it was was a bit upsetting. Also, that episode, that's the one with Boba Fett in it where he smashes up those stormtroopers. Yeah, yeah, it's actually quite a violent episode, really. It's, I was yeah, I was literally I've got it in my notes here that that I think is the most violence I've ever seen in Star Wars out of every Star Wars film I've seen. I mean that was about as far I think they could go with it, you know, before they got a you know a fifteen or an R rating really, wasn't it? He was certainly going for it. Definitely, yeah, because even when you look back to the old Star Wars, they're actually more the original ones that is. They're more violent than like the prequels and the sequels because that scene in Moss Eisley like it kind of goes against the whole kind of thing that became like part of the law. But Obi-Wan cuts that dude's arm off, doesn't he? And then you see like the arm and it's got like blood pissing out of yeah. it on the floor. But normally that would be cauterized. But nowadays, yeah. Disney don't like dismemberment. They won't have arms and legs being cut off. They even block it from the video games. It's like, it's a fucking lightsaber. What do you expect it to do? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Vader as well in the original Star Wars, he's a nasty bastard, isn't he? He chokes people and breaks their Yeah, right, you wouldn't that. want to be in the office when he's having a bad day, would you? You got to go through, like, fucking five or six commanders or something, <laughs> doesn't he? He just goes off on a tangent. Yeah, he does. Going back to those dark troopers as well, they're supposed to be so powerful and everyone's scared of them, but they're pretty shit as well, aren't they? They're, you know, they're no match for a lightsaber well, that's the anyway. thing. They're made out of Beskar armour, which can block a lightsaber, but at the end of this season, spoiler alert, people, yeah. Luke Skywalker turns up, which is a pretty cool thing, and he just fucking mows through them, and it's cool because it's a really badass moment, but it's like, you know, Ahsoka like swung two lightsabers at Din, and he just put his arms up and blocked it with his wrist, obviously, armour, and Luke's just cutting through these things like they're fucking paper. Yeah, and also, um, old Gus Fring's got the darksaber, hasn't he, and Din's got the Beskar sword, and that just blocks it, or the thing he's got. But, yeah, these dark troopers, they don't even pop a fight against Luke, do they? they just sort of walk up to him. And yeah, they do. I mean, I mean, that is a really cool sequence. And I think it's quite a good contrasting sequence. Because yeah. at the end of Rogue One, you have Vader doing that amazing corridor scene where he's just fucking butchering everyone he fucking comes in the touch with, all the rebel people. And that's like a scene that's shot in darkness and it's all about fear and, like, I think fear is the thing that runs through that. But then when you see Luke, it's kind of his hallway sequence, but this one's about hope, isn't it? And it's kind of a contrast between father and son. But it is a badass scene when he's coming in because it was like, who's it going to be? Who's it going to be? And at first, you're not sure because you see him from behind and he's just got the cloak on. And then you see the hand with the leather glove and you're like, yeah, it's definitely Luke now, isn't it? Yeah. Because there are a lot of people saying, no, it's not going to be Luke. He won't come back. It's going to be this, that and the other. 
and then there he was. He the was. Um, there was a lot of rumours that it was going to be Sebastian Stan playing him, but in the end, it was like a CGI Mark Hamill, which looked okay, but it also looked a little bit ropey. I think they could have done a better job there because every time he tried to speak, like the CGI just went well out of kilter. When he stood there with a straight face, it was fine, <laughs> but every time he talked, like I have seen better CGI. Yeah. Yeah, it confused me a bit as well. I was like, that's actually Mark Hamill. And then I was like, well, it can't be. He's about 100 <laughs> years old. old now. <laughs> Not Yoda. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how old he is, but <laughs> he's a Jedi. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> he'd be as old as he wants. No, that, that was. I know, he's got to be in his 60s, hasn't he? Ah, here we go, Mark Hamill. Here we go. Oh, yeah, I didn't realize that. Oh, Jesus. Me. Yeah, that's what happens when you just spend a bit of time standing on doing handstands and eating worms with Yoda it's just (laughs) (laughs) but um yeah he he, yeah he did look like a complete tramp though didn't he with his beard and that looked like somebody who sits on the bench (laughs) oh the last Jedi what what a (laughs) load of shit (laughs) but this is kind of like in many ways it was kind of the version of Luke we were kind of hoping to see now I've got to be honest Growing up as a kid, I was never really a big Luke fan. For me, my favourite Star Wars character was and always has been Darth Vader. I fucking love Darth Vader, especially the original version of him before, obviously, the whole prequel stuff where he just turned out to be a whiny little bitch. But Darth Vader, for me, is <laughs> the two greatest movie villains of all time are the Xenomorph and Darth Vader, just from presence, how fucking badass they are, and just how memorable they are. And Darth Vader is just the best followed by Han Solo for me I was never a big Luke fan I was exactly the same in the fact that Luke wasn't my favourite but my favourite was Han Solo fucking loved him but yeah Vader yeah and it's just I do appreciate as I've grown up I really appreciate the importance that Luke is as a character especially after watching The Last Jedi and thinking what the fuck have you done here Um, but this is obviously an opportunity (laughs) for kind of like them to rectify that mistake and people got to see the Grandmaster version of Luke that they wanted to see. And I guess that was um that was one good thing to come out of it. And it was a cool scene having him in there. It's pretty badass. So from that point of view, I was actually quite happy to see him. Yeah, I, I enjoyed the scene, don't get me wrong. I just thought the dark things, whatever they're called, dark troops, could, could have put up more of a fight. But yeah, it was Luke being badass because he's always been a bit whiny in the films, hasn't he? I mean, he's, he's obviously a Jedi and he's all these powers but he's always yeah, been a little, just like a little whiny little bitch isn't he pretty much just constantly complaining <laughs> yeah but yeah. before we obviously talk about the wrap-up of the end of the series let's throw a couple of nods out there because we when we get reintroduced to Kara June in season two she's now a marshal so she's actually doing all right for herself and at first because she's got responsibility and she's a, an official as it were she can't really do much to kind of help Dinjarin on his quest because she can't be seen to obviously be breaking the law and doing things. But then when he, once these dark troopers snatch Grogu away, Dinjarin then tries to rally a few of his allies to help him help him get him back. And when she goes up to Ankara June and she's like, "I can't help you," and he's like, "They've taken the child." And she just stands up and it's like, "Right, let's go and fuck him up." <laughs> she's just <laughs> straight away, she's in there. Yeah, she obviously got some uh, baby Yoda she must merchandise, have done. isn't she? Must have bought shirts. Those people. <laughs> Yeah, but no, uh, I was glad to see her back because I, I thought when she, we found out she was a marshal and she wasn't really interested, I thought, please make her come back. This can't be the end of her character. Yeah, because there's loads of shit online as well. As I, You don't know how true it is. I mean, the internet's a fucking stupid place anyway, but there's loads of things about like Disney trying to like get her out because she's, as the uh, 
Gina Carano herself is quite an outspoken person and Disney keep getting all bent out of shape. So there's rumours that they're trying to get her out of the show and out of the series, but I think she's too much of a fan favourite and the fans love her too much. And for me personally, I, mm. I think the show would take a massive dip if they got rid of her. And I, I was glad to see her back like yourself. And there's one yeah. scene I love. They're in a hallway. Her, Sasha, fucking fuckface, and Bo Katan and that, and they're all like shooting these stormtroopers <laughs> and Cara June's gun jams. And then she just turns it around and just fucking like whacks one of them over the head. It's like a proper Arnie moment, isn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah, that was cool. And a few people have mentioned that bit. But yeah, it's brilliant. She just she is bad as fuck, isn't she? And hot as well. <laughs> there's one there's one thing in this that kind of well, there's plenty of things that annoy me about most things, but in this there's a character called Fennec Shand. Now in season one, she wasn't in it long. Um she's like a sniper and I can't remember who plays her, but she gets shot in the stomach, um, and we believe she dies, but it turns out that Boba Fett finds her and he saves her somehow um so now she's kind of like has a bit of a life debt with him a bit like Chewie and Han had I suppose so she's like kind of Han Solo's yeah. uh, Han Solo Boba Fett's kind of like companion and she's a pretty badass warrior in herself now she got shot in the stomach and was on death's door and somehow Boba Fett Mr. Fucking Raggedy Man himself managed to somehow save her life <laughs> by installing a new fucking stomach out of scraps that he found in the bloody desert and she's somehow still alive. Now, if he can do that, how the fuck does Qui-Gon Jinn get stabbed in the stomach by a lightsaber in the Imperial Palace and no one could have saved him? Considering that would have cauterized all his wounds, he wouldn't have bled out or anything. It's just like, come on, guys. <laughs> That's a good shout. Do you know, she's called Ming, Ming-Na Wen and she's 57. Fucking no, she doesn't. 57, but she looks pretty she? badass. I think she was a cool character. And again, she's when been... she quote-unquote yeah. died in season one, I thought, well, that's a bit of a fucking letdown for a character that seemed like she had a bit more potential. She's been in loads of stuff, like mostly TV. I'm trying to see any big films. Final Fantasy, Mulan 2, Voices, obviously. Uh, loads and loads of TV. And she's done some video game voicing as well. So, yeah, she's done a lot of stuff. But, yeah, she's pretty cool. Again, that I know. 57, though, that's... She scary, definitely doesn't look that old. But, yeah, that's just one thing that I kind of... You know when you're not supposed to think too much into things, but I did, and I was like, how the hell did that, you know, yeah. go down? But we always do think into these things, you know, and that's that's the good thing about it. I mean, some of it is just unbelievable, but it's a whole made-up universe, so it's got that's to be That's it. It's one of those things. It's not science fiction as such. It's space fantasy, and as long as it makes sense in that universe, it doesn't have to make sense in real life as much as it can be a bit of a head-scratcher, I suppose, but it's um, it's one of those <laughs> things. And I don't know about you, because you said you really enjoyed this scene, so when Luke comes along to get Grogu, obviously Din Djarin has to give him up, and he has to be taken away from him now, and Luke's going to train him somewhere we suppose and yeah. but when they say goodbye Din Djarin takes his helmet off and he kind of like you know puts his forehead to Grogu and sort of says goodbye I think that scene would have been much more emotional that was the only time that Din Djarin had taken his helmet off and that's the first time we saw his face yeah and that's what we spoke about offline didn't we a while ago probably after this episode because the fact he'd taken it off in the episode before to make that face scanner work made no sense because we've said this as well. It wouldn't have recognised his face. He'd never been there before. So why he did that was completely pointless. Although shout out to Bill Burr. Who yeah, Bill Burr is awesome. Brilliant. He's a character that 
again, he kind of had a bit of a flash in the pan appearance, but then luckily they brought him back. I really like his character. And I think that episode, again, it was a very video gamey episode because after this big fight, they're on this transport, aren't they? And it's just waves of enemies. It was like something out of Uncharted. Um, but yeah, the whole kind of like conversation about the way Bill Burr's character kind of says to Din Djarin, it's like, you don't ever take your helmet off and blah, blah, blah. But it's like, you're not part of that religion anymore. You now need to find a way to kind of, you know, live your life your way with your rules. And that's kind of like a, I suppose a bit of an eye-opening moment for Din, isn't it, really? To think that he's met these other Mandalorians like Bo-Katan and that, they take their helmets off. They're not in the same religion as him. And he's kind of holding on to things that don't matter anymore. Yeah, yeah. I have to say, though, even though that we'd seen his face a couple of times before, and as much as I've slagged off Grogu throughout this whole podcast... I did fucking cry <laughs> at the end. I'm not going to lie. You know, I'm, I'm mad enough to admit it. I was fucking crying. I think it was a testament to Pedro's acting as well. I thought he, he was brilliant. No, I thought it was a great scene. It didn't... I thought it would have been more emotional if that was like the one time we saw his face. Um, I was more excited about the fact because Sasha Banks wasn't in the background and I thought she died in the gunfight. But it turns out she was still alive, so that ruined <laughs> it for me. Um, but yeah, no, it was a really, really well shot scene. And it also made me think like, Obviously, they're going to do a new series of Mandalorian, but what's the plot going to be of it now? Like, he's he's completed his mission. He's given Grogu to Luke. Luke's going to bugger off and make him eat worms or something. So, what, you know, what's Din Djarin going to get up to? What's <laughs> the next phase for his kind of quest? That's exactly the last line of my notes that I typed up. Where can it go now without Grogu? You know, he's, and how can Disney not have him in it? Yeah, no, they don't have any more merch, are they? <laughs> no, so the last season might well be the last one of all time. No, it is crazy. I mean, I'm sure they're going to have some way of doing it. But I think it's also, um, like, I know we had two Jedi in this one. So we had Ahsoka and we had Luke, which was cool. And I think they were both used, using them sparingly is good because I think Star Wars, like, as we've said, you know, seeing the stuff about the Outer Rim and the bounty hunters, that's more interesting now. Like, constantly having it focused on the Jedi kind of takes away from how important the Jedi oh, yeah. are. So I think if they only appear in one or two scenes along the way, it kind of makes their presence more impactful and how important they are. But I'd rather just see it from like the point of view of the rest of the galaxy at this stage. Yeah, I mean, we've we've done the Jedi now, haven't we? They're, they're, they're done and dusted. Let's, let's move on and do Yeah, you've got else. this whole galaxy full of amazing ideas and creatures and like setups and everything. You know, there's so much more we can do. And I think, that, again, that's why... Rogue One, although it had Vader in it for two really cool scenes, and also Solo was so good because you just saw more focused, character-driven people that weren't just all Jedi waving lightsabers around all the time. Yeah, I mean, I was so surprised by Solo. As I said a minute ago, Han Solo is my favourite character, and I put off watching it for ages because I thought, it's not Harrison Ford, I'm going to fucking hate it. And I really enjoyed it. I was pleasantly surprised. I didn't even know Woody Harrelson was in it. So that was a lovely surprise when he popped up. Uh, so I hadn't really read or researched anything about the film. And I've thoroughly Yeah, it was it. cracking. And again, I, I think, you know, after Mandalorian seasons one and two, they're both really good. Like seriously, if anyone out there, because I'd say Mandalorian, I'd wager there's a huge amount of people, especially because it's on streaming as well. People that aren't what you'd call Star Wars fans as such have watched this and they probably fucking love it. You don't have to be a big Star Wars fan or a fan of the movies to enjoy this show. But I think like The Mandalorian is a brand in its own and it can be enjoyed. Yeah. So if you haven't watched it, 
and you're listening to this, which I don't know why you would, but you never know. <laughs> I would. Yeah, we well, spoiled the end spoiled for the you. Ending, so, you know, you're not, you know, and if you cry as well, then, you know, you JT cried. It's okay. <laughs> but yeah, no, it is, is a really good it's show. All right. You know, we're all, <laughs> we're all friends here together. I mean, just looking at this, looking at this now, season one, 93% on Rotten Tomatoes, season two, 94%. So, I mean, it's strong. I mean, everyone knows how good it is. And yeah, it's got lots of flaws, which we've sort of tried to talk about, but as just an entertaining TV show, but expanding on the whole Star Wars thing, it, you can't beat it at the moment, I don't think. You can't really. And I think it really speaks to like, I like to think it's Disney listening because I know the writers, um, is it Dave Filoni? I can shit say names. Um, John um, John Favreau has done most of the writing. Dave Filoni has written some and directed quite a few. So they're sort of the, the main two guys. Did you know that Carl Weathers? He did, yeah, because I was going to say, like, it's got, like you mentioned it earlier, but um, it's got a huge range of directors. I even, what's the name? Um, Brandon Dice, that's it, that's the one. Yeah, I kind of get Dallas a name right. But yeah, she like it directs yeah. one episode and again each episode kind of has although it follows the same formula it has its own kind of feel to it and you can kind of get that feel once you see who the director is You're like oh that makes sense now why this one was like this and that one was like that yeah even that um take has directed an episode as well um yeah bryce dallas howard's directed two and there was one didn't she replicate a scene from a film her dad had made but with a spaceship, she replicated the shooting style and stuff, I think, in one of the scenes where Din Djarin goes to a certain planet. I can't remember what the scene is. But she took the whole inspiration from a Ron Howard film that he shot this certain way. So she but, shot you know, the same I didn't way. even, I've seen her in films and obviously I should have known because of her name, but I didn't even know she was Ron Howard's daughter. I didn't even know that. Yeah. Yeah, I think I know the episode <laughs> you're on about. It's when, yeah. it's one of the first ones in season one, I think it has Cara June on it. They find like this kind of like peaceful kind of village, don't they? And then there's like he's chatting to a woman, and like Din kind of like I don't he doesn't fall in love with her, but they kind of have a connection. She's like, you could stay here and be peaceful if you want. And then they have this fight. They use like the walk. They find like an old oh, derelict yeah. walker, don't they? And they're like trying to trap it in a trench and stuff. I remember, yeah, that's the one she yeah, directed. That's right. Yeah. Well, she directed episode four of season one, and episode well chapter eleven to episode three of season two. No, she's done two. But yeah, there's quite a different range of directors and writers. John Favreau writes most of it, but that's probably, well, obviously why it's all different lengths and different kind of styles. They do, but yeah. And like you say, whether you obviously can look ahead to see the episodes, but they're quite manageable. Say some are 30 minutes, some are a bit longer and that. But no, a really well-made show. And just as a Star Wars fan, it's just nice to see kind of Star Wars being done justice to again as well and actually being entertaining. Definitely. Couldn't agree anymore. Cool. So that about wraps up our episode for The Mandalorian. I hope you've uh, all enjoyed listening to us waffle on. Might have made sense. (laughs) Should have said spoiler alert at the start if you hadn't (laughs) seen it before, but I'd imagine (laughs) anyone listening to this has already seen it. (laughs) Yeah, well, if not, sorry. Um, You know, tweet us, hyperbaric goats on Twitter and shout at us, swear at us, you know. We don't mind. Yeah, I might cry again. <laughs> just no, just send JT a sloppy picture of uh, Grogu and Din Djarin and that'd be it. It'd be tears for a week. 
<laughs> cool. Well, yeah. thank you very much for joining us, as always. And, of course, join us next week. We won't tell you exactly what we're going to be doing, but it will be another feature episode on a particularly entertaining show. And until then, may the force be with you. And I can only say one thing, couldn't I, really? This is the way. <laughs>